Well, it's been a great time to worship God already, and uh, it's so great to have everybody here. I know we have a lot of our friends and family that are online worshiping, so hello to you. And uh, we have some people here that were on our kind of church uh, Zion trip that are doing double duty, I guess, for church. They had church up there, I believe, but... Uh, anyways, a number of us got to go to Zion this past week and kind of see the creation and just think about it kind of puts you in perspective of your own life compared to the, the creation that's been there for thousands and millions of years and just uh, was an awesome time of fellowship. Uh, thank you, Louis, for sharing, uh, leading us in communion there and just sharing your heart. And it just as you were talking, it just made me think of that passage in the Old Testament that says that Jesus came to turn his children to their parents and parents to their children. And I just uh, appreciate how God does that, that he puts us in the families he wants us to be in. And somehow we figure out a way to mess it up a little bit. And then he finds a way to make it better and bring it all back around. And, uh, to your mom there. You did a good job with your son. He's a good he's a good man. And I'm sure he saw a lot of that from you. He's a super hard worker. And now I see where he gets it from. And uh, we were uh, blessed to be there when they got married and when Ellie came into the world. And uh, Emma too, I believe, right before we left. And just uh, appreciate the friendships that God brings us together. And I think about you often as now I'm out here and you're over there in Orange County. Or, or you used to be, and now you're in Colorado. So I, I, uh, that gives me inspiration as we're reaching out to the young people in the area of like, man, maybe we'll meet another Louis Moreno. That can help build up God's kingdom. You know, maybe we'll meet another... Uh, someone that that uh, will become a part of our family. Today we're going to be talking about our series, Better Together, as we're going through the summer, and uh, we, we just got finished going uh, through the book of James, and now we're going through this series. The title of today is Better Together, a Tax Collector and a Zealot. Are they really better together? We're going to talk about that in, in just a minute. But I wanted to read a couple of scriptures and tell you something that happened here recently. Uh, in Ephesians 2, he says, For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace. He has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And that's what Jesus does, right? He brings people together. He just takes out the hatred that's there. And here they're talking about the hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles, but that can be applied to so many different situations. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. And recently, at our sister church in Rancho Cucamonga, we had a, an event put on our, by our Social Cultural Unity and Diversity Committee uh, to really celebrate the Asian American Pacific Islander uh, population and the disciples that are in our church there. And it was really cool to hear about. I wasn't actually able to go, but I was able to watch uh, a documentary that they watched there uh, put on by PBS. And they had a dance by one of the teens. 
and had some of our brothers and sisters share and some trivia regarding that community and also, of course, a big feast that followed. And really just celebrating how God has brought all peoples together. That's one of the things that attracted me to our church is all different peoples coming together, all different walks of life. And I'm grateful for the past year when we've got to really even understand each other in a deeper way. And uh, this event will be on our uh, members' Facebook page in early August. And really, our heart is just to promote unity, to promote understanding, to promote love for one another, and to promote love for our neighbors and for the lost. That we can not just be together in church, but we really want to know each other. We want to know what we've all been through. We want to celebrate what God has done and the peace that only he can provide to bring people together. All the political parties in the world will never bring people together. Just look around. How is that working? But look what Christ is doing and has done. One of our other theme scriptures is 1 Corinthians 9. It says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And you might think, what does that mean to become all things to all people? That's something what we're going to be talking about today. That's what Jesus did when he looked around. He chose people to be together that didn't get along. Today the title is A Tax Collector and a Zealot. And Jesus, when he chose his 12 disciples, he he didn't pick from the entire world because the prophecy was that he was going to start with Israel and then it would progress to the entire world. So he looked in Israel and he picked people that couldn't be more different a tax collector and a zealot. He chose fishermen that no one respected. He chose many different people to show the power of his love and his mercy. And I love this series that we're going through called Better Together. And uh, Roy shared last week about the paralytic and his friends and the value of relationships centered on Christ and what Jesus can do. I love a couple of his quotes were, number one, who you were has no impact on who you were meant to be. How you started out in this life has nothing to do with how God created you and how he wants you to be and the vision that he has for your life. And the Bible is just filled with stories of people that no one thought anything about except for God. And he used them to change the world. Another quote was, who your friends are has the greatest impact on who you will become. When we look at the people that we surround ourselves with, if they're faithful people, then guess what? We're going to become more faithful. If they're loyal, then we're going to become more loyal. If they're true, then we're going to become more true. And I pray that even as we're here today that we can think about how God doesn't want us to go through this life alone. He doesn't want us to do it by ourselves, and yet sometimes we can feel like that's the best way. 
Let's pray as we get started and, and look at the tax collectors and zealots. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this just celebration of who you are and the forgiveness that you bring. I pray that for the next few minutes that you get me out of the way, that your word will speak to us, God, that you'll inspire us, that you'll convict us, that you'll help us to have a vision for our lives, the same that you have for our lives, for this world, the same that you have for this world. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk for a minute about the tax collectors of Jesus' day. They were known as Gabai and Mokes. And Matthew, believe it or not, was the most notorious sinner of the twelve. Of all of Jesus' twelve disciples, the worst one in the minds of everyone there was Matthew. He was even considered worse than the Romans. He was considered worse than the, the Herodians that sided with Rome because the Romans were their, their, their enemies. But this was their brother who chose to be their enemies for money. He was the worst sinner of all. And the, the, the tax collectors of those days, they had like little mafias with them. They hired enforcers to protect them. I know if you've seen the movie... Uh, the series, what's that called? Chosen. The Chosen. You've seen The Chosen series, one of my favorite series. You wouldn't know it because I forgot the name. But they had the little, they had the Roman guard that would follow them around and protect them. But really, what they had, they would pay people to protect them because they were in danger all the time. There were three types of tax collectors. The Gabai were the general tax collectors that uh, collected property taxes. So they like... You know, they collected the property taxes based on the assessments, etc., similar to what we have today. And the Mokes collected all kinds of other tax uh, taxes, and they had like the, the chief tax collectors like Zacchaeus. He was like in charge, and then Matthew was a little Moke. He was kind of an entry-level tax collector. He was a young guy that gave up his life as a Jew for money. And Jesus somehow saw this guy who was hated and said, that's my guy. He saw something that no one else saw. And as it turns out, after Pentecost, Matthew's job was to reach out to the Jews. That his gospel was written to the Jews. There's more quotes from the Old Testament in his gospel than any of the others. And tradition has it that he was burned at the stake. So he was a, imagine him sharing his story, trying to convert people to Christianity, other Jews, and saying, yeah, I used to be a tax collector. And immediately some people said, there's no way I'm going to that church. I'm not going to church with tax collectors. Those guys are bad. But the power of Christ in the tax collector. I'm sure he wanted to get sent out somewhere away. So he didn't have to keep reliving the fact that he was a traitor to people who would not forgive. And yet, Jesus said, no, you're exactly where you need to be. 
And the next person we're going to talk about today is Simon the Zealot. They were known as the Sicarii because that was the name of their little swords that they would carry. They were known as terrorists of their day. Um, Extremists to advance their agenda through acts of violence and terrorism. That they wanted to overthrow Rome. That they wanted to revolt. That they were radical. But there were three other parties of Jews in the time. The Pharisees, they were devoted to the law. They had all these rules and regulations to not break the law. They were radical in their own right. The Sadducees were religious liberals who were in charge of the temple. They had given up on their faith in the sense that they still, they gave up their belief in miracles. But they were the ones in charge. But they were considered faithful, even though they, they gave up their views on, on miracles. And the Essenes, which are not mentioned in the Bible, they devoted their lives to the study of the scriptures and Many people think that that's where John the Baptist was trained. And so they looked at the world and they said, the world is so evil, our country is so messed up that we're not even going to be a part of it. We're going to go do our own thing. Like a, a separatist cult or something of their day. But if you can imagine Israel with these four parties, we'll call them political parties, not exactly what they were, but four different groups of people, and yet Jesus was trying to get all of them to get along. You have the guy that carried the sword, and he is paired up with Matthew, the tax collector, in this small group of Jesuses. You think they liked each other? You think they wanted to... Go have, uh, spend time together outside of Jesus. Go on vacation together. Spend the temple. Spend uh, holidays together. You know, it's interesting when you look at the Gospels, there's no record of the disciples arguing with one another. I mean, the one time when they were arguing about who's the greatest, that's one. What's another one? I was trying to think about it. I couldn't think of one. The Gospels isn't about all the disagreements they had. It's about Christ. But sometimes we can think that these 12 people never argued. They never got in disagreements. They never looked at one another because they were from a different party than they were from. That Simon never looked at Matthew and just said, man, if Jesus wasn't here, I would kill you in my old life. Or Matthew looking at Simon and wondering, man, is this guy, what's he going to do to me? I don't think he likes me. I don't think he ever really forgave me. And you can just imagine the different stuff that was going on. When you read the rest of the New Testament, you realize, yeah, they were pretty much just like us. They were very judgmental, too. They had all their opinions. They grouped people by different things other than Christ. 
I love this quote. There is no saint without a past and no sinner without a future. And we've all got a past, and yet with Christ, we've all got a future. I believe Jesus' group was to show God's mercy in everyday life. That they spent every day together. I mean, we just went camping with some people. You ever gone camping with your family? Man, it's, it's kind of rough. Right? Being around families and they're arguing with one another and they're, they're, the kids are bickering and they're picking on dad and dad's frustrated because he's doing all the work and mom's trying to clean up. And I mean, it's just, it can be crazy. But Jesus took these 12 guys and they lived together for three years. They went camping for three years. That was their Christian life. My first point today is humility and children. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 18 today, and we're going to ask the question, how did these two guys get along? Humility and children is my first point of how they got along. I love this picture. It's okay to laugh when you're at church. But it just made me think of Simon the Zealot if he had a kid. Because he was known for carrying around this knife that I'm sure if he had boys, this is a girl, but they probably thought that was pretty cool that my dad carries around this knife. When I grew up, I want to carry one too. But think about Simon watching Matthew's kids or vice versa. I mean, imagine trusting someone to watch your kid, and and then imagine trusting Matthew, this tax collector, to watch your kids. Or this crazy zealot to watch your kids. Would you go for that? Probably not. But that's the kind of relationship that Jesus was forging with his disciples. Hopefully you can read that. It says, At the the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Their argument. He called a little child and placed the child among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And then he skips down in verse 10. He says, See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. And they're arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus brings the child among them and says, If you don't humble yourself, not only will you not be the greatest, but you're not even going to make it to heaven. He takes it a lot further than I'm sure they were wanting to go. They just probably were thinking, man, all the reasons why I'm the greatest and all the reasons why you're not the greatest. And he may be thinking, we never do that, right? We never walk around thinking we're the greatest. That's pretty proud, isn't it? That's not something as a Christian you're supposed to admit. 
But we do walk around with all the reasons why other people aren't the greatest. All the people that don't agree with us or don't think like us or whatever, we have a lot of reasons why we're better than them or the way we think is better than the way they think. And that was kind of what happened to them. I mean, you think about kids, they are so amazing. Such a blessing. When your kids are born, it is like the highlight of your life. And then what happens? A lot of stuff. You know, from sleepless nights to everything else and traveling everywhere and your life changes, everything now becomes about your kids. My kids are 21 and 19 and they're not here today so I can talk. (laughs) They're 21 and 19, but when they're around, guess who it's about? Them. Whether whether we want it to be that way or not, that's just kind of how it is. And so Jesus brings this child among them. And why did he do that? He says, it's not about you. Whoever is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't matter to you. The kingdom of God is not about you. It's not about what you want and who you want to hang out with and whatever you think. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. It's about someone like this child who was the lowest on the totem pole in that time. They were property. Literally in Rome, you could kill your child and nothing would happen. They were, that's the, the value that was placed on children. You can go look that up. It's, it's crazy. Now, Jesus had a totally different value. But why would he choose a, a child? Anybody ever want to be a superhero when you were little? You can raise your hand. I won't call on you. Okay. I wanted to be Superman when I was a kid. Right? I would, I would go around the house, I remember when I was little, and I would just like throw myself onto the couch, and it literally, it really felt like I was flying. Like I was like, man, I'm, I, I am him. Anybody want to be a professional athlete or dancer or something when you were a kid? I see a few people raising their hand and, and nodding their heads there basketball player, soccer player. I wanted to be a professional football player when I was a kid. I remember when I was 10 years old, I was uh, hanging out with a bunch of people at the baseball park, and I I would walk around literally with my shoulders like this. (laughs) And finally, one of the older girls was like, hey, why do you do do your shoulders like that? And I was like, because I'm a football player. Makes me feel like I have my pads on, you know. And I don't remember what she said, but it was something to the effect of, man, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> and I never did that again. <laughs> but when you're little, you're, you're a dreamer. You want to do great things. I mean, you're filled with wonder. You're amazed when you meet people that have done cool stuff. Even stuff that other people may not think is cool, like driving a big truck. Like, man, that is cool. My nephew thinks that all construction vehicles are like the coolest thing ever. He's got like all of them. So I just got his birthday just passed. I got him this truck set. 
I'm, I'm in. I'm the, I'm the, the go-to uncle now. Because he loves trucks. But sometimes we can feel like in church that we need to be so humble that we lose our dreams. We don't want to be held up. We just want to kind of hide in the background. That's not what humble is. That's what Jesus would call burying your gifts. Because these were the 12 guys. I mean, they had a lot of responsibility. They were in charge. It wasn't about what job they had. It was about the spirit that they took into their job. That they were willing to do the menial things. They were willing to do what no one else wanted to do. They didn't care about position. Well, not yet. At this point, they they cared a lot about position. But Jesus wasn't done with them. See, today we need people that are willing to dream for God, that want to do great things, that still want to wonder, what will God do with my life? How could he use me to make an impact? How can, what is God going to do in my family and in this world? Jesus goes on after this and talks about what happens to people that cause these little ones to stumble. You can go and read it on your own, but it's not good. He said basically it's better for them to put a 50-pound cement ball around you and throw you into the lake if you're going to cause one of these little ones to to stumble. Now, how would that happen? When you look at the later New Testament that the church got extremely judgmental. That the people, the disciples were getting bitter and critical and living in comfort and showing favoritism and losing their gratitude. And in all these ways, they could cause these little ones to stumble. Because ultimately, this church is not about you. And it's not about me. And if we want to make it about you and me, then in about 20 years, we won't even have a church. It's not about us having our fellowship with our friends and hanging out with people that we like. It's really about the little ones, the kids. It's about the next generation. It's about dreaming again. It's about living our lives in a way that young people want your life. Believing in a way that people can see God sharing your testimony. And even here it says that they despised the little ones. Does that seem weird? I don't know that I've ever walked around and looked at a kid and just go, man, I I hit you. (laughs) That's kind of extreme. But maybe it can be seen that those kids were getting in the way of what they wanted. They were even keeping the kids from Jesus. That Jesus has such an important job that he doesn't have time to Wipe the snot off of your kid's nose. 
or play a game or wrestle with you. And Jesus said, no, that's exactly what I want to be doing. Those are exactly the people that I want to hang out with. Because it wasn't just about the kids. It was about all the people that others didn't want to be with. Those are the ones that Jesus wanted to be with. That's what people were so surprised about. Why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? You're hanging out with crazy people, uneducated people. And Jesus is like, yeah, these are exactly the people that I like. The ones that have faith. The ones that wonder. And Matthew and Simon the Zealot were two of those people. They wanted to make a name for themselves in different ways. One wanted to be rich, and the other wanted to start a revolution. But Jesus wanted them together and wanted them to be humble. My second point is passion for the wandering sheep. Passion for the wandering sheep. Sheep are pretty cute when they're little, aren't they? Right? I saw some really cool pictures of sheep. I was just like, man, they're so cute. I want to take them home and, you know, spend time with them and like a little puppy. And yet, sometimes sheep are not that good. Here's this guy trying to get this ram together, and the ram's like, no, I'm not going with you. Let's fight. Jesus was not just about lassoing the cute and cuddly sheep. But he was about, he went after some pretty tough rams as well. People that didn't want to go with him, that he kind of made go with them or gave them an opportunity. You ever notice that? When God's like, oh, let me bless you, I'll take care of you, and then you'll really want to follow me. I'll just pour it on. I'll bless you so much, you'll be blown away. That work for you? That didn't work for me. It was like, no, I'm going to wrestle you and I'm going to flip you over and then you, until you submit. And then you're going to probably think about me for a little bit. And then once I let you up, you might forget. And then I might have to do it again. And I, I went through that series and maybe you can relate a few times. Until finally you realize, you know, if I keep fighting, God's going to keep wrestling me down. It's a lot better just to go with God now. Or I could keep fighting him and he promises that he'll be back and the same thing will happen. And you do that over and over and over and finally you're like, okay, maybe I'll give God's way a try. Maybe it is better to go with him and stop fighting where he wants me to go. He continues on. He says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Another way that the tax collector and the zealot got along is that they were united in God's heart to help the sheep. 
They were united to bring people back to God, to help them to know Christ. That it, it didn't take away their differences, but it gave them something greater to go after. They still had their same story, but now they had a new passion. My question for you and for me is, are you really happier about the one sheep than the 99? Really? Are you more concerned with a growing church and big numbers than you are with one person coming back to Christ? Jesus invested in small things that became big things. Today we have it reversed. We want big things and we don't care about small things. If I'm real honest, it would seem to make more sense if one goes away to stay with the 99 so that they don't go away too. That makes sense to me, right? You're going to go for one and then you might lose 99 or stay with the 99 and just say goodbye to one. Think about that for a minute and think about your passion and mine to go after the one sheep. Is that really what you value? Or do you love the 99? My friends my people, my family. We hang out, we talk, we hang out, we go on trips together, we, we have each other over. But what about, the 90, what about the one that's even part of the church that's not here? Are we willing to leave our friends to go find that one? Are we willing to step out of what we want or be the greatest and do what Christ wants. It's not about the 99. I need to find that one sheep. Our friends that still don't know Christ. That's something that I've been thinking about. That Jesus is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. I hope that we think about that. That we are not better together. I mean better alone but we're better together. We're better when we're focused on what God wants us to focus on, saving those lost sheep. I pray that you can take this to heart. Because I don't see a lot of lost sheep. I see a lot of sheep I've been seeing for a long time. And that's not to put any of us down, but it's what Jesus was doing. You think they were thinking about the one sheep? No, not until Jesus brought it up. I pray that we can have that passion. I've been talking to a woman on the phone that I met one time. We met uh, when actually Teddy was studying the Bible. And we've been kind of keeping in touch. And it was the weirdest thing that now we have become friends. Only met her one time. We talk every while, once in a while. 
And I just realized, wow, how many people does she have in her life that care about her? That are calling her up to see how she's doing. What'd you do on the weekend? What can I pray for you for? People don't have what we have. We take it so much for granted. But Jesus says, go after the one sheep. I'll take it even a step further. It it might make Jesus happy if you didn't come to church sometime because you were out helping a sheep. If you skipped your midweek service because you were helping the sheep, or you could call him a good Samaritan, the Samaritan that was injured. Sometimes we think, and it's great that we're together, but I would be excited if every once in a while we're like, hey, why didn't you come to church? It was because I was helping someone that was truly in need. You might get rebuked for that, but not by Jesus. Because sometimes we value being together more than we value those sheep. I pray that we take these things to heart. I'm not out of time. So we're going to say a prayer, have the singers come up here. I pray that you think about those children. And you think about that humility that Christ wants us to have that will help us to get along with anyone. And you think about the purpose of finding those lost sheep that Christ wants us to pursue and value and celebrate. I got a whole third point that I'll have to do another time. But let's, I'll say a prayer and we'll have our singers come up. Father, we do thank you for this time to be together. Thank you that you bring us together from all walks of life. That we truly are better together. That we have more impact together, Father. Thank you for our differences, but thank you for our similarities in Christ. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the the way that you reached out to us, the way that you brought us back to you, the way you brought us back to our own families, and the way you bring us towards one another. God, I pray that you help us to be a church that is has the heart of a child, that we can still be in awe of you, and help us to have the heart of a, that you have to seek after those lost sheep for one another and for this world, God. We love you. We need you. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.